This podcast is sponsored by Position Green. To be an insider, you can subscribe to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable, wherever you get your podcasts from. And please leave us a five-star rating. Welcome to the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, host Mike Niemer will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education's important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now, here's Mike Niemer. Welcome into another edition of the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. I'm your host, Ron Culver, and with me as always, CEO Mike Niemer. Episode 209 today features Chris Larson, Senior Director Clean Energy at Dynapower. He and Mike sit down to talk on all the benefits of hydrogen. But before we jump into that conversation, eRenewable CEO Ann Niemer has some very important words to share with you. Position Green helps companies build resilient and sustainable organizations. Position Green has a unique combination of ESG software, advisory, e-learning, and assurance that drives sustainability success and empowers positive change. Visit positiongreen.com to learn more. Thanks, Ann. And now here's Mike with Dynapower Senior Director, Chris Larson. Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by Renewable. This is episode 209. And ladies and gentlemen, we have another hydrogen podcast today. This time we have Chris Larson, Senior Director of Dynapower. But before we get to Chris, you know, our listenership has really grown and grown, particularly since the last couple hydrogens we've had on. So for those of you that are new listeners to our show, you, you know I like to refer to hydrogen and talk about the crayon box. There's a ton of different colors regarding hydrogen. You've got blue hydrogen, brown hydrogen, pink hydrogen, gray hydrogen, turquoise hydrogen, yellow hydrogen, and white hydrogen. Today we're going to focus on green hydrogen, because that's Chris's specialty, along with Dynapower. And Chris, welcome to the show. We're excited to hear what you have to say. Mike, great, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, what I would like to do with any guest that's the first time on our show, give the listeners a little background on yourself. I know you're 25 years in the clean energy space. Tell us about your journey, what led you to Dynapower, and let's go into what Dynapower is doing. I'm excited to hear about that. Sure. Yeah, you bet, Mike. And uh, yes, yeah, so my journey, you know, it's funny. I, I grew up in Central Florida. I, I guess if I, if I, 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 I'll, I'll, I won't bore you with the whole story, but uh, happy to share that, you know, I think I became sort of an environmentally focused and, and, and uh, aware individual growing up. I grew up in Central Florida. My, my grandparents, uh, entrepreneurs, they actually co-founded a, a sugar farm down in South Florida. And I, I think for me growing up, going down there, visiting the farm, great times. We'd go water skiing in the, in the irrigation canals, you know, tie a rope to the back of the Jeep, go skiing in the canals. And uh, a lot of good times down there, but I also, you know, saw a lot of things that uh, uh, caught my attention. You know, the uh, a lot of things that the industry was doing that was uh, polluting the environment. South Florida, uh, the Everglades, uh, some some practices that, you know, even as a kid, I thought, geez, this doesn't feel right. Um, you know, as I became somewhat of a geek in high school, uh, I kind of got focused on uh, engineering. Wanted to uh, study that in college, ended up doing that. So I studied engineering. Um, but with a focus on renewables. So it was about, you know, I, sort of combining the geek side with the, uh, the environmental uh, bent to it and got into renewables. But it wasn't until after college that I kind of became a, a real solar person. And so that's, that's what sort of guided me throughout my career. I had a buddy who uh, was uh, a, a 
who had just discovered solar himself, actually. And so he became an evangelist. He had discovered this thing called Real Goods Catalog. And he basically, you know, that to him was his Bible. He's, and, and he became an evangelist for, for solar. And that sort of so it sort of got me guided um, uh, down this the the solar pathway. I ended up getting a job at the North Carolina Solar Center uh, and had some really good mentors there, guys like Larry Shirley, uh, Bill Brooks, uh, Mike Nicholas, uh, and Steve Calland, who's who's still there actually. Um, so I was really lucky, you know, a that that uh, that my buddy uh, uh, kind of got me turned on to solar very early, right out of college. And um, and then I had a really great platform at the North Carolina Solar Center that kind of got me, uh, uh, helped me understand the industry and, and, and what I wanted to do. And I, I so I found it. So eventually, you know, when I found my way to Dynapower, for me, Dynapower isn't a solar company. And this is what's interesting about you know, Dynapower. It's a, I joined Dynapower because it was a storage company. So I looked at storage. And at the time, we're talking about battery energy storage. Said, wow, this is really exciting because with the expansion of solar on the grid and wind on the grid, these intermittent resources, what we need is more storage, right? Storage is an enabler. So I still consider myself a solar guy, a wind guy, uh, but uh, the work that I do at Dynapower is, is really focused around storage, and that that is both battery energy storage as well as now green hydrogen, hydrogen as a as a storage medium. Um, Dynapower itself, I think, has a pretty interesting story, and I'll, I'll share briefly the, the Dynapower story. The company was founded in 1963 uh, by uh, John Pollock uh, out of Detroit, so Detroit, Michigan. So very much an automotive-focused company. So we were doing the power supplies that are used, that were and still are used in the metal finishing business. So basically, the auto parts manufacturers would use our power supplies to do the metal finishing, sell the parts to the, the auto manufacturers. All right, so fast forward, John's John Pollock's son, Peter Pollock. So Peter Pollock, this is a uh, uh, gray ponytail, Harley Davidson riding badass guy. He takes over the company, but, but prior to taking over the company from his father, he'd actually taught theoretical physics at University of Vermont. All right, so takes over the company and says, you know what, I really prefer Vermont. He picks up the company. His father says, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. You're going to move a company where you know all of our customers are within 50 miles of Detroit, right? And you're going to move to Vermont. He did it anyway. Crazy risk. And it, and it, and it worked out. Uh, half the company employees came over with the company, which is, which, is a, uh, which is fantastic. And we've grown ever since. When I joined, though, it was still kind of an industrially focused company. And, and in the nine years that I've been at Dynapower, We've really uh, put a stake in the ground and said, hey, we're going to um, really focus on clean energy, um, battery energy storage. Uh, we're going to focus on now hydrogen and have really positioned ourselves well. So it's interesting that to, it feels like we're in this, you know, we're in this um, hyperactive space, clean energy. And, um, and, and yet we are a company that's, that's got some, you know, sort of the old stodgy roots to it. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun to be part of that transformation. And, and just recently, I think, you know, b due to our success, we were just acquired by uh, Sensata Technologies a year ago. Uh, they're very excited to get into the clean energy space and really focus on electrification. So we're now a really big part of the, of the Sensata strategy. So uh, very exciting times for us. Well, it sounds like it's quite a journey. And thank you for sharing it uh, with myself and the listeners. Uh, it's fascinating to hear the path you took. You know, uh, 
I'm 40 years plus in the oil and gas industry, so I have a different path that led me to clean energy. But that's a yeah. that's a whole different podcast by itself. <laughs> but anyway, so I understand the journey and how you end up where you end up. And, and it has a story, and young people can all learn from those stories as they look into their future also and not to get down on where they're at because sometimes uh, things happen for a reason, as I'm sure you can attest to, Chris. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about, as Dynapower is venturing into this, hydrogen and clean energy space and the uh, green hydrogen. Uh, let's start from the basics. When you're talking about green hydrogen, tell the listeners the true definition of what makes something green with regards to hydrogen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, great question. You know, the, 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 the basic answer is that, you know, hydrogen, when we talk about green hydrogen, the, the, the core definition is that we're using renewable energy, whether it's solar, wind, biomass, hydro, we're using renewable energy as the power source to split the molecule. In this case, I'm talking about splitting uh, splitting um, water into hydrogen and oxygen through through electrolysis. Now, there are other ways to do this, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm like to point out that you can also split uh, uh, methane itself, which is carbon and, and hydrogen. You can split that uh, through methane pyrolysis. Um, but again, you can also you, you can do that in a green manner as well, as long as your uh, power supply is coming from renewables. So that's the core answer. Now, there's all kinds of nitty gritty. Well, wait a minute. You know, the Europeans like to wring their hands over the definition of green hydrogen because they like to say, well, hey, you know, if it's if it's really green hydrogen, that means that the 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 actual the you know the 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 renewable energy is being produced right there on site it's new renewables and it's being produced at the time when when the hydrogen is being uh, produced so th there are some some um, nuances but the general definition is hey are you using renewables or not and do they count in the states using renewables as you had to buy a PPA or BPPA and tie it to your production there? Or can you add, can you actually just simply buy a renewable energy credit to offset that power that you're buying from the grid? You, you can do that, yes. It, it, yes, you, you can do renewable energy credits so that you're buying, yeah, buying the, uh, uh, so, the credits support that, absolutely. So you either put a PPA or BPPA, BPPA in place, or you bought an attribute of some kind to tie it mm -hmm. to the production that you have, Thus, you have green hydrogen in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you, you know, it, it's it, it's interesting. I, I think uh, when I think about green hydrogen, we 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 all it, it's it is relatively new. Like we listen, Mike. We wouldn't have had this conversation, you know, five years ago because it wasn't quite yet a thing. I mean, this is a relatively new phenomenon. But I think it, it's worth reminding folks that. Uh, the hydrogen economy has been around for a while. I mean, you mentioned the 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 the, the box of, of crayons, and yeah, uh, you know, hydrogen is a major commodity, and we're producing a lot of it in, in the U.S. and globally for all these industrial processes. What's different now is is how it's produced. Right now, now we're producing it using renewables, and that's the big shift. So, hydrogen isn't new. The pipeline infrastructure isn't new. The challenges aren't new. Um, but how we're producing it is, is is what's distinct these days. So what role are you and Dynapower taking in that marketplace? Okay, uh, so yeah, we're the um, yeah, we're we're the 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 big you know box that that's out behind the building that 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 nobody cares about. So we we are the uh, uh, the power electronics. so so electrolysis, 
uses high current uh, DC power, right? So the 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 uh, utility grid doesn't well. Eh, footnote: Usually, the utility grid is not run on DC, right? It's run on AC. So we basically have the power electronics and the transformers. We we make the power electronics and the transformers that convert grid power into high current DC, which is fed into the electrolyzer, which somebody else makes. Um, and the electrolyzer is the, um, the, the, the quote unquote cell where the water is actually split. So we're, we're on the power side. Uh, so we're the interface basically between the grid and the, the electrolyzer. And there are different ways of doing that, but that's sort of the, the summation and, and what's, what's been cool for us as a company in this space is that this process of, of rectifying ac to dc we've been doing this for years i mean this is where we got our cut our teeth in 1963 uh in detroit um and eventually we worked our way up to doing very high power applications in different industries and then so we're able to basically take what we're doing over here maybe in the mining sector or the uh the national labs and and apply it directly to hydrogen electrolysis very very interesting you know when we look at the hydrogen space, as you're more aware than I am, there's a group of people who think best things in sliced bread, and a group of people who think it's just not going to make its targets because it's just too difficult, right? Yeah. So that poses, I have to assume, a lot of challenges for your firm and other firms in the hydrogen space. How do you guys cope with some of those challenges and what are you doing to meet them? Yeah, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that, um, you know, at a macro level, Mike, I, the way I look at the the hydrogen evolution, because I, I was, you know, I got involved in solar, you know, this was back in 1996 when I started working at the North Carolina Solar Center. Man, photovoltaics, right? Photovoltaics back then, I don't know what the price was. I, sh I should probably go look this up. I'm going to make up a number. It was order of magnitude, probably between five and nine dollars per watt. All right. Now today, okay, when you do a big project, you know you're 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 below, well below fifty cents per per watt. And, and so the the I, I see something, and we're going to see parallels. And same the similar things happen with batteries, lithium ion batteries, as the market demand grew, largely dri driven by electric vehicles. But nonetheless, as the demand grew, the, the technology, the manufacturing technology stepped up. It met the challenge. And um, so, so at a macro level, and this, this is sort of a, 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 a macro level, yes, I, I see the same thing happening with hydrogen where the, the, um, the industry matures, the, 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 all the soft costs, you know, the contracting mechanisms uh, uh, mature. Um, you know, the technology, the, the electrolyzers become more efficient, the power electronics become less, less, less expensive. Um, all these things are, are working right now. And, you know, I got to say a lot of it is, you know, thank goodness for the, the investors who, who see this and thank goodness for, you know, frankly, you know, uh, you know, U.S. Department of Energy putting some dollars into this, you know, big announcement last week about the hydrogen hubs. You know, all that stuff is really important. And, um, you know, so as a technology company, Listen, we're doing our part, right? And and what we're looking at is how can we make our part of the equation less expensive, more efficient. We're also thinking of some cool new topologies. Are there different ways of of of, of thinking about the system design? We could certainly talk about that. But um, 
you know, we, we do look at the, the market makers. I'm talking about the developers, the investors, the, the governments that are, that are putting, putting money behind this. And um, I think everyone's rolling in the same direction. And so these hurdles that we see, you know, this whole thing about, well, wait a minute, uh, green hydrogen today costs between four and $5 per kilogram, and it needs to be $2 per kilogram before it's competitive. All true. All right. It's all true. But, but everyone's rowing together. And I think that we're, we're going to, uh, to get to the price target probably sooner than people anticipate. Well, you know, uh, I can go all the way back to the mid-90s in the C&G market when that mm-hmm. started becoming popular. And um, I saw it struggle to get going. And it continued to struggle, continued to struggle. And now you're seeing it a little bit more mainstream, but... You're 20, 30 years later before it gets to mainstream, but it endured the entire run. Yep. I'm hydrogen is has such a high cost for the plant to be built and everything. I'm hoping that's not going to be the barrier that's going to prevent it to have a successful path going forward. Do you have any thoughts on the economics of how large these projects have to be and can they withstand the test of time? To wait it out. Yeah, you know that, that's a great question. What's What's interesting about, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of narrow the answer to to green hydrogen, right? Because that's that's right. the, the sticking point, right? Is, is hey, wait a minute, green hydrogen is is pretty darn expensive. How do we How do we move the needle on that? And I think the so so the good news, the good news is that when you look at a, a green hydrogen production cost today, the the largest cost element is actually the energy that goes that's being used. So it's the opex side, actually not the capex side. So um, you know the estimates are between sixty percent on the low end and eighty percent on the high end of, of of the cost of a of a kilogram of hydrogen is the electricity that's that's being fed into the the plant. So so. Not to say that capex isn't important, and everyone's working on that. We're we're certainly working on that, um, but it's it's all about the cheap renewables. I mean, if we get down to it, it's it's and that's a lot of that's going to define a lot of where this stuff is installed. You know, we look globally because again, this is a global market. You look at the countries that have access to uh, inexpensive renewables, and, and a lot of it just has to do with you know where you are in the world. But those countries are going to become large exporters of, of, of hydrogen. And yes, the scale matters. So, so yes, on the CapEx side, that's why we're having these conversations about hydrogen hubs. Now, there is a trade-off. Now, uh, so come back to the geography and, and, and the cheap renewables, but in terms of scale, um, the challenge is that you, if you make a big plant, you got to figure out how you're going to transport the hydrogen. And that itself is a major challenge, right, that, that people are wrestling with. So um, yes, there are economies of scale, just like with anything else. A bigger plant, uh, it's going to be less expensive per, per kilogram of hydrogen, but then you're wrestling with distribution. So we are seeing a lot of activity, um, you know, obviously the big hubs, but also these smaller site-based uh, production facilities, you know, one megawatt electrolyzers or 10 megawatt electrolyzers that are being sited right at, for example, the steel mill or the cement plant, or at the oil refinery. All these, all these processes require hydrogen, right? So, so there is a big market 
for smaller scale hydrogen production driven by the fact that you can put it right on site and you don't have to worry as much about transportation, compression, storage, and all that stuff. So yeah, sort of a tale of two, two, two stories there where there's, you know, uh, active market for local, smaller, um, because you don't have to worry about the transportation, but then the, the massive projects, yeah, the bigger, the better. <laughs> Very good. That's the super answer. Uh, I think you painted the picture quite well. So thank you for that, Chris. Um, I wanted to go over to one other thing that I saw on you guys' website. You talk about e-mobility on your website. Yeah. What's absolutely. involved in your e-mobility that you're discussing on, on the website? Yeah. So, well, so our interest, again, you can think of Dynapower simplistically, but, but this is accurate. We, we're a power electronics company. So it's all about, for us, it's about going from eight, you know, converters that convert from AC to DC, from DC to AC, DC to DC, we do frequency converters. So, so any sort of power transformation. So you can think, you know, in, in the context of, of e-mobility, we have nothing to do with cars. We're, we're really on the, on the charger side of, of, of the, of the equation. So our gear is used in, in one of two fashions, either um, we get involved in battery systems that are installed at charging sites. So let me, let me, let me explain what, what, what that would be or why, why, why would you have a, a stationary battery system at a, at an E, you know, uh, EV charging site? Basically the, the, we're putting these EV charging stations all over the place and you want them close to where people can actually use them. So you're not sticking them out next to a transmission line outside of town, you're putting right. them in town. And so we're finding that these charging stations, you know, the optimal location may not be a point on the grid where you've got a lot of grid capacity or, or imagine you've got a parking lot and the transformer serving that facility is not big enough to provide enough power to charge eight cars at fast charging, you know, uh, uh, ports at, at, at a single time. So you might say, okay, that's fine. I'll keep my utility service the way it is. And we will install a battery system on site to add that sort of um, a surge power as needed to help charge the cars. So we're seeing that at a, um, a decent percentage of, of charging stations right now. Um, so, so are those batteries for those charging stations, when the store is closed in your example, or the facility is closed, do they pull out of the grid in the middle of the night to charge the battery to then use for the EV charging stations? Bingo. That, that's it. Yeah. So, so yeah, you, 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 you charge the batteries when, when there's excess grid capacity and not so many people charging their cars. Exactly. Right. And uh, so that you are ready for those peak periods in the mornings and the evenings when everybody's showing up trying to charge their cars. Yeah. So, so that's one application that we've been involved in, but we're also doing some work uh, with, with the national labs right now, some, some cool stuff looking at different ways of designing these charging stations. So the short answer on that is, well, you could have a, um, a, a DC charging station where there's a, uh, you know, most, you know, most everything these days is AC, right? But if you have a DC charging station, uh, it's an efficient way of incorporating batteries, potentially incorporating solar. And then of course the, the chargers themselves ultimately want uh, DC. So we're, we're doing some interesting work around the, the DC topology to make these charging facilities uh, more, more efficient and more, more flexible. So that's the kind of work that we enjoy doing. It's sort of, um, 
you know, we're doing sort of the bread and butter, which is, hey, let's add some batteries over here, but also some of the more interesting work about thinking about what does the future of, of a high power charging station look like? Very good. Chris Larson from Dynapower. I appreciate your time today. Very informative. I'm sure the listeners learned a lot more than we knew before we got here. And that's what we want to do is educate the public. So thank you so much for your help. It's been a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for joining me on the Green Insider today. Mike, thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening, as always, to the Green Insider, Pirate Bay Renewable. Have a great day. This podcast was sponsored by Position Green. For an introduction to our sponsor or find out how you too could be a sponsor, refer to our show notes to contact eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast.